Nets world order. No Harden, no problem. The Nets blew the doors off the Bucks by 39 points in game two after winning game one with ease in Brooklyn as they're now 2-0 in emptying their bench this series. They go to Milwaukee for games three and four. Can they sweep? Do they even need Harden this round? And who would the Nets want to face in the Eastern Conference Finals? We'll ask the New York Post longtime sports columnist Mike Vaccaro. So sit back and relax in the AC. It's hot right here on Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. We are back for another playoff edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, Nets legend, number 30, Kerry Kittles. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, during the show as well. Follow the crew on Twitter, at Robin Lundberg, at Kerry underscore Kittles 30, and at Jake Brown Radio. Do us a favor and give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support all season long as we keep rolling along the playoffs as the Nets are headed to an NBA championship. Longtime New York Post columnist and New York Sports Writer of the Year, Mike Vaccaro, will join us later in the pod. But, Kerry, first off, so much for the Bucks giving the Nets trouble. Yeah, I mean, wow, one and two was <laughs> – I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I didn't go to those games. It wasn't much to watch other than just a, a thumping by the Nets. Um, but I, I think the Bucks will make it a series. I really do. I think you've changed your prediction. I'm going to stick with mine. But, um, wow, they've, the Nets have been playing really well. Well, you know, my prediction, actually, if, if we rolled the tape back, I said, you know, I could see it being Nets at five, and then I moved it to six. I should have just stuck with the five, and it, it may be four. I might go the other direction. Now, wow. I, I don't see it changing. I, I, really, wow. I really don't. I mean, maybe the Bucks get one for pride at home, but you watch these two teams play, and it looks like they're on different levels for, for a couple of reasons. One, Kevin Durant's the best player on the floor, right? Like, no James Harden, but the the Nets might have the two best players in the world on their roster, and and Kevin Durant is staking his claim right now. The Bucs can't stop him. Two, Budenholzer on the other side is not making the adjustments that I think are are necessary. Brooke Lopez is food. He is food for the Nets offense. He's in drop coverage, and it's allowing guys to just step into their shots. I think that the Bucs need to go small and put Giannis at the five. And three, if Giannis is your primary playmaker, I'm sorry, you're not good enough. He needs to play more like a big. He's a great player, but he's not Durant or like Kyrie or like Harden in the way of his ability to create his own shot. And that has cost the Bucks not just in this series, but the, the last two years as well. Yeah, you're great points you make. I, I, I think the first point is the Durant. I mean, wow, he is all what we thought he was. You know, watching him for all those years, do what he did, finals MVP, you know, unstoppable, unguardable by great players and show up in big moments. I mean, he's just, he's a you know, great player offensively. And then defensively, you know, he's so long, you know, he creates problems there as well. So, and he's healthy now, which we were all waiting for is to see this healthy Durant, right, with this Nets team. And, and 
when it matters most, which I've always been talking about, which is the postseason. And we're seeing what he did against the Celtics and now against the Bucks. They don't have an answer for him. I mean, Tucker is a great defender. He gets under everybody's skin. You can't do that with Durant. He's just too talented. He's naturally gifted. He's a smart player. But yeah, and then and then Giannis, right? And coaches adjustments, how he utilizes that talent. He's yet to figure out how to maximize what he does well. He's not a great passer. We've we've seen that in his career. He's a great penetrator. He's a great downhill player. But if you clock up the lane, you gotta make shots around him. And they haven't made shots thus far. And that's done a good job of keeping those role players out of rhythm to me that's the key moving forward is can you keep Middleton off rhythm can you keep Holiday and and Lopez off rhythm those guys those three guys get it going the Nets will definitely have some trouble trying to close this series out but yeah you're right I think the Nets have their number right now if they're going to keep Lopez and drop coverage on on those ball screens those dribble handoffs they're in for a reckoning because the Nets will make shots and make the right necessary play. Yeah, and they got Giannis trying to play like LeBron, and, and that's not who he is, right? I, I mean, to me at least, I, I think, you know, not that he's Shaq either, but in the the analogy, the extended analogy, he needs his Kobe to be the Shaq, right? He needs, if the Bucks had the assets, if they could get Damian Lillard or somebody like that, that would be a difference maker. But as is, I think they may just be a, a little too limited, especially going up against a Nets team. And, you know, as good as, as Durant has been, and he's been otherworldly, absurdly, disgustingly good, as good as Kyrie is, the other guys have played re- really well, you know, and, and they've made the job easier because of the way the team is constructed. There's so much space on the floor because they're they're hitting all their shots. The team is 50-40-90 for the playoffs, and everybody who stepped on the floor has played well. Blake Griffin is, is hustling his tail off out there. Landry Shamit's dunking and hitting shots. Mike James, you, you wouldn't have thought, dude, was just playing in Europe. You know, like uh, up and down the lineup, Claxton in his minutes. Joe Harris, we, we know what he does. Bruce Brown, a, a huge contributor and hitting those little, you know, baby hooks in the lane. Everybody on the Nets seems to have realized the gravity of the moment and the quest that they're on and has locked in as such. And as much as we want to say the Bucks are embarrassing or or they're failing, a, a lot of that is the Nets doing because we, we may be watching a, a just a, a special team, especially given that they're doing it without James Harden. You're right about that. And I, I think much more credit needs to go to that coaching staff, Nash and D'Antoni. I, I, I think, you know, to be able to have those role players all embrace those roles and to play at a high level the way they have been playing and contributing at any given time your number is called. I mean, think about they have two of their main players out. I think Jeff Green, he was the glue of the team prior to Griffin coming over with all that he does defensively and the threes that he makes and how he spreads the court and how he's been playing. You know, and he's been out of the lineup and you still see next guy up, next guy up mentality. And you're right. I think it's remarkable to see how you can have a supporting cast play the way that they've been playing on both ends of the court. Their defense has been their Achilles heel throughout the season. Not thus far. I mean, they've been keeping these guys off rhythm. They've been gritty diving for on the ball. I mean, they've been to every loose ball. So I, I think you're right. I think if they play like that, the, the Bucks are in trouble. The rest of the league is in trouble. I mean, for God knows when Harden comes back, he makes the game easier. I mean, it's just like, I don't know what the answer is to the Nets. I mean, we've we discussed it all season long. If they play like this, 
There is no answer. Every time Robin, by the way, says 50, 40, 90, I just think of the rap. 50, 40, <laughs> 90, Kyrie. I think of that every time. And Blake Griffin throwing in Giannis's face was just a joy to watch. It rocked Barclays Center last night. The place was rocking. And you know it's a true blowout. When Reggie Perry puts up eight points, That's got that might be a career high. I mean, Reggie Perry getting all the time in the fourth. You get a quarter of rest for your superstars. And it's almost like the fact that James Harden is on the, isn't on the court is an afterthought. You might not even need him this entire series you could potentially rest him if all goes well in Milwaukee we'll see if that's the case or if, he, if he's able to play but do they need him at this point well, I'll tell you what the first half in game three is going to be the true teller if the Bucks are still playing with this terrible confidence that we've seen in games one and two they're gonna be in trouble I tell you what at the first half they're lacking confidence that Middleton and Holiday and Lopez I'm looking at those three guys if they don't play well in that first half of game three it's over it's over you know um there is something to the fact that and I've noticed throughout the year when there's been two of the guys whoever it, you know it has been when Harden first got here and it was it was Durant and, and Harden when KD went down and it was Harden and Kyrie and now that it's KD and Kyrie you know there is a level of activation that that brings for the rest of the team, right? But they know that their responsibility is going to be greater, and, and I think they've stepped into that. That's not to say they're better without all three guys on the floor. That that's silly, right? But for for those moments, you can see them, you know, kind of lock in a little bit extra, and, and perhaps that's what's been happening. But I, I've been telling you guys for for the the longest time, you know, we've had our bouts of what's the worry or or you know how concerned are we about this? It, it's not hyperbole to say this is one of, if not the best basketball team ever. I mean. Like you put all those guys together on the floor at the same time. What do you do with them? Like what? I mean, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant has been fortunate, right? I mean, in Oklahoma City, he played with Westbrook and Harden. Obviously, he chose to go to the 73-win Warriors. In this case, he was the building block. He was the one that kind of legitimized, I think, everything else. But when you have those three and you have the level of role players that they have on this team, I'm not so sure... Any teams taking them past five games? Wow, that's um, that's that's big. I think. Listen, it's it's early on right now in their careers together and and what they've been trying to build. And you know, I, before I say that they're going to be some dynasty team, I want to see them execute and finish out the postseason the way we think that they're capable of doing it. Right? Maybe not in style like you know past five games, but just winning a championship. Let's start there, right? They got a lot, long way to go. So let's see how that plays out. But you're right. I mean, the way that they are offensively, they're in. The, they're all in their primes. They're, they're young players for the most part. And so they have that window there, right, to really establish themselves as one of the greatest three superstars to play together and to hopefully bring multiple championships to Brooklyn. That's there. But there's a lot of things that have to fall into place year in and year out. And, you know, I want to see how that see how that plays out. Well, credit Sean Marks for putting this team together. And generally, you know, early in a big three is when it's at its weakest and you add to it. But the role players they've been able to put on this team are already very good around these guys. We've seen that. You mentioned the coaching. D'Antoni's always empowered role players. And I think Nash is a gifted communicator, right? Nash sets the, the, the right balance, the right mentality uh, amongst guys. And you're just sort of seeing that pay, pay dividends. And as much as you want to just make it about the stars, there is something to be said about the culture that this franchise has developed and about how that is now trickling down to the, the fans at Barclay Center, the way they you know handle themselves and, and all that stuff. You, you are seeing something being built here because it wasn't something that was constructed and people hopped in. Yeah, you're right about that. I, I think the culture speaks for itself. I mean, to, to bring in those types of guys around them, you know, really shows what kind of organization that they really 
31 and a half. And those players are definitely showing that in how they play. They're gritty players. Bruce Brown in particular, Blake Griffin in particular. Those two guys, you got to have those kind of guys on your, your ball club. Jeff Green, when he's healthy, another great player to have around them. And now you have that sniper, Joe Harris. He's always there. You got to stay home. And when you have this open court space the game that we're watching now, these three superstars are now able to do what they do well, which is, you know, break you down. They can go for 25 and a half like nothing, dominate teams, make you have to change your schemes, you know, from, you know, quarter to quarter. That to me just really shows how the Brooklyn Nets are built. You know, I think you're right. Those complimentary players don't get enough credit for, for doing what they do well. And man, it's just, it's fun to be a Nets fan right and now. And that hammering you, that. you hear in the background is actually the Nets still scoring on the Bucks. They actually <laughs> just scored their 190th point as you're listening to full court and Flatbush. And we got to give credit. You talk about the home court advantage. Listen, there's been no timeout controversies needed uh, with uh, Steve Nash in the playoffs. There's been no 18-1 runs where you didn't call a timeout. They haven't had to worry about that yet. But you talk about home court and that's been so big for the Nets and, you know, could play a role next round if Atlanta keeps doing what they're doing against Philly. Oof. And I think a lot of Nets fans, I don't know who they want to root for, but I think they got to root for home court because friend of the program, one of our favorite interviews last week, Mr. Whammy had his own Mr. Whammy cam on the Jumbotron last night and four for nine were the Bucks from the free throw line. And Mr. Whammy was the MVP of Barclays Center in game two. Well, you know, the, the crowd, what I like about it, I, it feels like they're there to watch a basketball game and cheer on their own team and not act like clowns, right? Like that's one of the things I like about it. You know, I had a, I had a guy behind me at game one and he, he kept saying to me, he's like, you know, we got to be do this. Knicks fans are going to make fun of us. And I was like, you know, where are they right now? Um, and, and then he, he kept chanting, Giannis sucks. And I was like, no, he doesn't. I'm not going to lie that loud. You know, well, like- there, were some, there were some overrated chants for Giannis last night, which is the cl- that's, cl- that's the clean version of F. Trey Young, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Yeah. But all the extra stuff we've been seeing in the postseason thus far, it's just crazy across the league. And yes, Nets fans are passionate, but they're respectful and they understand, you know, where they're at. And, and by the way, I think you'd rather see, I mean, I'm with you on the home court, but I think the Hawks are actually a tougher matchup for the Nets than the Sixers for the same reasons that we're seeing here in the Bucks series. Who's Joel Embiid guarding when the, the Nets are, are playing the way they do? Because clearly the Nets are not adjusting to you. They've kind of proven that. They're saying, adjust to us. On one end, so I think they're going to make Embiid play defense if he's there. And on the other end, they're not going to guard Ben Simmons. Meanwhile, the Hawks, I, I think in order to beat the Nets, you're going to have to score with them because you're you're just not going to stop them. And the Hawks can spread you out. The Hawks have a lot of talented players, a lot of shooters. So you'd rather face the Hawks or the Sixers, Kerry? He wants the Haw- he wants the Sixers. Who do you want? I take on the Sixers as well, even though we won't have home court. I, I take the Sixers. But he's right. The Hawks, the way they move the ball. Passing is an underrated skill in today's game. It's really underrated. We're seeing Giannis right now. He can't pass. And you're seeing how the team looks when you have a great player with the ball in their hands who can't pass. Joel Embiid, yeah, you're you great player, but they're going to to make you pass the ball and you're just the Sixers aren't the same when they, when Embiid has to give up the ball and, and there's always levels to this I, I like to bring up that quote right and and Durant has proven in this series the difference between like he and Giannis but there was a little bit of a a media controversy earlier today Carrie where Jay Williams was on get up this morning and said said uh that KD had told him don't mention him and Giannis together. Basically, you know, he would be the second net because I remember when Harden said, all he does is run and dunk right? <laughs> right? in the past. Uh, KD was not happy with that making air either because he, he never wanted it to or he just never said it because this was the, the tweet. That he KD- got up after get up aired. He got up and <laughs> sent out a tweet, yes. 
Yeah, and he tweeted, Mans will do anything to advance their careers in this media-ish, wanting to be accepted by an industry that will dispose of you whenever they please. Keep me out all that corny talk about who's better legacy and all that dumb-ish. I don't even talk like that. I'm censoring myself. You know, you can read his tweet on uh, Katie Trey 5. As a former player, Kerry, what do you make of of that? The way the sports media covers it and the way somebody like Kevin Durant now has this medium where he's like, I'm going to tweet if I want to, and and I'm going to give it to you how I feel like giving it to you. Man, I wish Twitter was around back in my era. Could you imagine some of the the comments that players would have been making on Twitter? Could you imagine Reggie Miller going on Twitter after he torching the Knicks in the garden and saying things about the fans? Is there a choke emoji? Oh, my! I'm sure they could find one or, or some gif, whatever they call them, gif. So I love it, man. Durant is, Durant is using social media to his advantage. I mean, he gets on there and he speaks his mind and he says, look, don't compare me to anybody. I just want to play the game. I just want to hoop. Keep my name out your mouth to everybody. And it's just like, all right, keep your name out. Keep his name out of your mouth. If you haven't gotten the message yet, if you're in the media and you're covering the nets and sports and you want to try to find a soundbite, just don't mention Kevin Durant's name because he will go on there and give and it you got to be careful because you saw it, Robin. You saw it happen with Julio Jones where Shannon Sharp calls him on the air and Julio Jones had no idea he was on live TV. So if these hosts and personalities are going to call guys out, get prepared to get called back out for your BS. Well, and, and Katie's with it. Like he's with the ish, right? Like he, he is aware of it. He's He's got his own He's podcast. with the ish. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his yep. own podcast. He's got his Twitter account. He's clearly aware of what's being said. Said. I'm surprised I've never gotten a reply or anything from maybe I'm maybe that shows I'm a peon or a pawn as Kyrie <laughs> likes to say right uh over the years but then like Kerry, okay if that's his his tact and I get it how are we supposed to talk about him other than to say you know Kevin Durant very very good very very good <laughs> well he's just acknowledged that he's different he ain't like nobody else in the league we haven't seen a seven foot guard do what he does we haven't seen it I mean maybe you could say some similarities and to AD because of the size and, and AD can shoot the ball from outside the, you know, but like, no, we haven't seen someone do what he does. So I wouldn't compare him to anybody. That's just like, no, he's Kevin Durant. And that's it. He once called Christoph Porzingis a unicorn. He should have been talking about himself. I mean, he is something else. I mean, there, there is, there's never been anything like, I always say whenever the era, he's always the example I bring up, whether you think he's the best or, or whatnot. When, when people talk about eras, I always say, drop Kevin Durant into a previous era and see what they say. They'd accuse the guy of witchcraft or something. <laughs> speaking of speaking of eras and Twitter replies, Carrie for the first time in like three months since March tweeted and replied to me uh, making fun of him because Montel Jordan, who is now a pastor, performed at halftime. And this is how we do it as an ultimate party banger. And that, that's how true. we do it. I mean, you can't not like that song and plays at a party. And I joked that I felt like I was at Continental Airlines Arena watching Carrie Kittles because that's the last time Montel Jordan was relevant. And that song was a banger and Kerry responded with I was in college when the song came out so that would just be a tad before I entered the league but way to date a brother though so uh sorry Kerry I'm I'm famous for dating you but yep. Montel yes, Jordan you uh you you were a senior at Villanova dropping 21 a game when Montel was out there performing yeah man jeez that was a long time ago but you know entertainers still have their their day I and mean, you make a good hit you know you still can go perform it 25 30 years later so you know more power to them. What I've always wanted to do if I was in that position is like go to various bars, like very incognito and, and go and, and put that song on the jukebox that I did and then sit next to the person uh, at the bar and be like, 
yeah, that's my tune. <laughs> <laughs> just all the random jukebox joints that you could play. some interesting Muski and now Montel Jordan. I mean, who who's next? Like, are they going to bring out Casey and JoJo? And if there's a game five at Barclays, I, I'm, I'm very curious. The Nets are bringing out all sorts of interesting celebrities, you, you know, the celebrity cams and halftime shows. And I'm very curious who's going to be uh, in the next round, who they bring out. Well, we did get the Hove sighting that we were asking for. We got for the Hove there. We had Travis Scott there. You know, I mean, they, they got some fans that come in there and check them out. So it's it's a nice place to go. If you're a superstar, you know, celebrity, you want to go watch a good ball game, you know, go to the Barclays Center. It's a uh, court side. It's not a bad experience. Yeah, you could check out, you know, one of the games in the Bucks series if it gets back to Brooklyn. Game three in Milwaukee on Thursday. Game four in Milwaukee on Sunday. Game five will be in Brooklyn uh, Tuesday if necessary. And, and then you could watch the Nets for the conference finals at Barclays and also <laughs> for the NBA finals once they're there. See, I almost want the Sixers so I don't have to deal with Trey Young again like he is just <laughs> he is so frust- no he is so frustrating and such a little cry baby like even when he tried to draw a foul on the free throw i don't know if you saw that video where someone like put a little elbow oh. to him and he went flopping backwards it is i know it's a new game it's and it's a, a style you're, you're a nick fan you're a no, nick fan come on don't, don't do that no i no i'm rooting for the nets but he's he's frustrating to watch he always tries to draw a foul carry if you were guarding him and getting called fouls nonstop, you'd probably hate him too as to Today's game, though, man. Offensive player do whatever they want. They're going to call a foul. So it's it is what it, it is. It's, it's both. I mean, he's a great player, and this has been his coming out party, and, and his ability to shoot, his ability to get into the lane, his ability to pass and find open teammates, and his ability to twerk for fouls have all helped him out <laughs> thus far in these playoffs. Twerk for fouls. Wow, <laughs> Megan the Stallion is giving you a round of applause right now. Wow. There you go. I don't know. Body yaddy yaddy. Well, I don't know how to transition. Next is Mike Vaccaro, uh, long-time columnist for the New York Post. We're joined now by a New York institution, longtime New York Post sports columnist, New York sports writer of the year, Mike Vaccaro. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Vac, and read his stories in the Post and at nypost.com. And Mike, I read your story this morning, and maybe um, it's a problem for the league if the Nets defense is starting to catch up with its offense? Well, if they're going to win every game by uh, 50 points, it's going to be a problem for everybody who likes competitive basketball. But as I also mentioned, I mean, who knows if it's uh, the, you know, the combination of the Bucks playing terribly on offense, which I think is part of it, and the Nets playing better on defense. But the fact of the matter is the Nets clearly look more engaged defensively than they have at any time during the year. And if they're going to play like that on both ends of the floor, we already know how extraordinary an offensive team they are. So if they're going to bring it on the other side also, that's going to be a very difficult team to beat. Talk about the job of Steve Nash and D'Antoni in, in that regard, right? I mean, they're known for their offensive uh, schemes and, and how they can really run up the score and win and win going small ball. But, you know, Steve Nash done a pretty good job with, with the lineup that he has. I mean, we haven't seen DeAndre Jordan in years. We thought he would definitely play against Brook Lopez for the size. But, um, no, they're still going with small ball, and, and it's working thus far in this series. You know, Kerry, what I give uh, Nash credit for more than anything else is that, you know, I think all year long, those of us who follow the team – kept asking him about defense, defense, defense. And he understood. I mean, he, he never dismissed it. He always admitted the fact that, yes, we need to get better. And he thinks, and he always said, I think we will get better. 
And he always would admit when there was a bad, you know, there were plenty of nights where they gave up 125 points to lousy teams that, that you know, there's no way that should happen. And he acknowledged that. And it's clear that that was always part of his narrative was making the Nets a lot more representative defensive team. And, you know, that's really starting to pay dividends now. I mean, I think the first two games of the series, as great as they played on offense, the fact is, I mean, the Bucks are a pretty explosive team themselves and they haven't looked at even, you know, a shadow of themselves so far. Talk about those role players, Blake Griffin in particular, right? I mean, to, to bring in Blake Griffin at this time of the year when, uh, you know, they had things rolling for the most part and they, they bring him in and he immediately takes the lineup, you know, starting lineup and his impact on the game. And, you know, obviously without hard, you know, they're, they're trying to patch things together as they go. But just this emergence of Blake Griffin as of late and, and what he brings, his physicality in the postseason, we knew they would need that, especially when, you know, Jeff Green has been out. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of simplistic to say one play kind of turns the game around. But that dunk yesterday sure seemed to energize everybody. And it sure seemed to, you know, the, you know in the seconds after that, it looked like the Bucks were shell-shocked. But I think one of the great things about watching Griffin play is just how revitalized he is. I mean, like anybody who watched basketball the last 10 years knew how good he was and knew how, how kind of he'd been cast adrift a little bit just by playing on some bad teams, going through some tough times. And he's so re-energized being on this team, being around good players. It shouldn't surprise us because we've known how good he is. But it really, but, but to see it in the context of this team where he's willingly taking a subservient role, but he's always still has the capability of stepping up when needed. And of course, when they're down one of the big three, that's not a bad time to step up. And, and he's done that the first two games for sure. You know, Mike, one thing I'm interested in is how this team is framed in the coverage, right? You know, there's a lot of Knicks fans in, in the New York media. Obviously, the, the Knicks have a, a longtime fan base, and that's played in where people say it's always a Knicks town. Or people say, you know, it's a soulless championship. It, it won't count. They've stacked all these superstars. At the same time, you know, right here, where we, we are, we could be witnessing one of the greatest basketball teams of all time, like a, a team that belongs perhaps in that conversation. How do you think, when it's all said and done, this Brooklyn Nets team will be framed a New York point of view. Look, I think basketball fans appreciate what they're watching. I don't care if you're a Knicks fan, a Nets fan, if you're a transplanted Lakers fan. When you watch the Nets play, uh, it's impossible not to appreciate just the excellence on display, the individual talents that they're trying in this grand experiment to make into a championship team. I mean, so I think as, as you know, and there are a lot of basketball fans in the city. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Knicks fans are going to root for the Nets. That's never been the case. I know back in the day when I would cover Kerry for the uh, when you, in Jersey, you had a lot of envious Knicks fans because those teams of Kerry and, and Kenyon and, and Jay Kidd, I mean, there was so much fun to watch the Knicks fans wish that they had New York across the th- across the front. I don't know that you necessarily have that same kind of affinity for this team, but look, it's it, it's kind of funny, right? We're all New York sports fans, right? And, you know, there's a whole lot of Yankees fans who don't seem to mind when the Yankees compile teams that have all-stars at every position. And in fact, they complain when they don't have an all-star at every position, you know, case in point this year. And so it's interesting that those same fans, some of them will complain about how the Nets were assembled when in fact they were assembled. I mean, you can talk about how soulless it was or how corporate it was or whatever you want to say. The fact is that team is together. Mark's put them together. He hired a coach who clearly has reached them in a way that coaches are supposed to and a staff that's done the same thing. And uh, look, I, I don't think you're necessarily going to get a lot of converts, but I don't think you necessarily need converts. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think that 
Mets fans require Yankees fans to hop on their bandwagon or Jets fans require Giants fans to do that. And so I don't think you're going to see a lot of Nets fans complaining that their Knicks friends are Knicks fan friends are, are going to join them. In fact, I don't think they want them to. I think they like the fact that they're kind of have their own little thing. Yeah. I mean, you see a, a fan base being cultivated. You know, I've noticed it in, in the Barclays Center. You, you mentioned coaching and Kerry had asked you about coaching before. Would you be interested or how interested would you be to hear having covered him with the Knicks, Mike D'Antoni's internal monologue, his inner monologue right now as he's going, see what happens when I've got the guys. Well, and not just his time with the Knicks, but, you know, he really, by rights, probably should have won at least one with the Suns. That Suns team, the seven seconds or less teams that he compiled, those teams were so much fun to watch. And, uh, you know, by rights, that team probably should have won once at least. And so, you know, and really the Rockets teams he coached the last couple of years, they were right there also. So, I mean, to me, D'Antoni, I mean, must be enjoying this ride. You know, yes, it's not going to be his name on the trophy if they win it as the head coach, but he'll have been a huge part of this. I mean, clearly he's kind of, in the same way Don Zimmer was kind of the baseball whisperer to Joe Torre, all those Yankees championships. I mean, that's clearly the role that he's serving for Steve Nash here, but you know, he, he's also a guy who's a basketball lifer, so I think he definitely appreciates what he's seeing every day just from a tactical, just from a scientific standpoint, seeing excellent players playing at a high level, playing together and producing what they're producing so far. I mean, you can't argue with 6-1 in the playoffs so far, and you can only imagine where it's going to go from here. Yeah, so talk about those expectations. You know, uh, Robin and I uh, both had this series. Oh, Robin, maybe he picked going six, Nets and six. I picked Nets and seven, and I'm going to stick with that. I, I, I think, you know, oh, you got five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that it's going to be a drag dollar. So I, I, I think uh, the Bucks won't play as bad as they played. Uh, there's a, that's the worst they they played all season in those two games. But just talk about you know, the Nets in particular, their superstars. And, you know, throughout the season, they, I think they played eight games together uh, heading into the postseason. And now they're without Harden, uh, who's, you know, the facilitator. You know, he's the engine to what they had going this year. But now they're going to be trying to figure out how to play without him for who knows how long. Talk about those guys making the sacrifices that, it, you know, superstars usually don't make. I mean, those guys usually are self-serving players. They want to get their numbers. They want to get their big contracts. But these guys have come together to, to do whatever it takes to win and to make this thing work thus far. Well, I think one of the bittersweet things right now is seeing Harden in street clothes because I think that, you know, he's the one who's really had to kind of alter his game from what he's been used to playing in order to kind of fit in. And it's been magnificent to watch because, you know, when I say he altered his game, it means that now, you know, he's collecting 15, 16 assists a game, which is still, you know, pretty beyond belief. And that's not what a normal player does. But look, I mean, I, I just think the more you watch the team play and you realize but Durant's a freak, he he never misses. I mean, he just really is. I mean, it's it's remarkable to watch. I mean, he never misses. I mean, yes, he misses, but it just seems like he never misses. And Kyrie, I heard somebody describe Kyrie as the most coordinated basketball player they've ever seen. And boy, that's a great description because it's just, it's not just that he's good, it's that, you know, he manages to do things for a guy who's not, you know, imposingly big. I mean, he, you know, he's able to, to go to the basket without, any, without much hassle. He's able to figure it out midair when he has to. Uh, it, it, those three guys are just, you know, taken separately. They're just such a joy to watch if you like basketball. And put together, I mean, you know, it was always kind of interesting to, to wonder how they would fit in and the old basketball joke about needing more balls so everybody can play. But they really, I don't think that, I don't think that's been the case. I really don't. I think they enjoy playing together for one thing. I don't think there's ever been a hint that any of them is unhappy. And I think that's the first, you know, that would have been the first red flag is if, you know, you would have you know heard whispers, well, this guy's not happy with, you know, his role. This guy's, and, and yes, now they didn't play enough together really I guess to, to develop a lot of unhappiness, but when they have played together, they've seen to do it swimmingly. And you know, obviously, you know, I guess, I guess 
against the Celtics, it, it seemed pretty seamless. And so to me, I mean, that's the credit. And look, I mean, it, unfortunately, it, it takes away a spotlight from a lot of the other guys. You know, it's just th- those three guys aren't going to win the championship by themselves. We know that. We already talked about, about Griffin. We know about Joe Harris. We know about all these guys who contribute. But those three guys are obviously going to be the ones who bear the brunt of the spotlight and the brunt of the responsibility. And so you have the Nets in? Well, I picked them in seven, like you, carry because to me, I this was before I saw the Bucks play games one and two. But I still think that the Bucks are a proud enough team and now a desperate enough team. I do think they'll probably hold serve, which means that now you're talking about a six-game series or seven-game series. I, mean, I just think that having game seven at home, you know, forget the atmosphere, which is great. I just think that the comfort level of being at home and knowing what that means to that team uh, would be enough. But, you know, honestly, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if I had to change my pick to Nets in five because I, I do think it'll be a pretty interesting challenge for the Bucks to try and sweep those two games at home. Yeah, I don't think any team has taken the Nets past five games. I I, I don't think for the, the remainder of the playoffs. And when, when you talk, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Uh, when, when you talk about the, the level of talent they've got, everybody who stepped on the floor has played well, to, to Mike's point. They're shooting 50-40-90 as a team for the playoffs. And, and when you, you talk about those individual guys, Mike, and appreciate it, I mean, you could easily make the case that each of them on their own merit is the most exciting player who's ever played in this city. I mean, like Patrick Ewing was great in, in the 90s, obviously, what that team did. Carmelo had a run. Linsanity was a moment. But just like individual ability, they, they might be the three most exciting guys if taken separately. Look, of the teams that I've covered, and, and I'm not just saying this because he's here, I, I loved every minute of covering uh, those those Jersey Nets teams in the early 2000s. They were just a fun team to watch and the way they played together. I mean, but yes, that's a different question. That's a different point than what you're making. I mean, the individual talents are explosive. And I think that team in Jersey played so well together. And obviously you had a very good point guard who kind of made it, who made it all those talents work together. But, but right, I mean, they didn't have three guys who are at the top of their games like this. I mean, if you're going to pick the, if you're going to just have a pickup game and pick the 10 best players for a five on five in the NBA, probably all three of those guys are going to be out and going to be in the game. And I don't think it's going to be much of a question of that. And uh, look, I mean, Durant has answered every question about, you know, how physically he can come back. Clearly he's back. Kyrie, you know, has answered every question about, you know, he's, he's completely committed from a basketball standpoint. Clearly he is. And uh, I think it's obvious from day one that, that Harden wanted to do his best to make this happen and make it work. And uh, I personally hope that, that 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 his absence is minimal because to me, I mean, yes, I mean, we kind of thought that this was going to be a Kyrie KD thing and Harden was kind of like an extra bonus that we got kind of got added at the beginning of the season. But I'd still love to see what that means and what that plays out like if those three are all able to play the balance of the playoffs together. And Mike, you've been covering sports for a while and you talk about those Nets teams from the early 2000s. And, you know, one of the things I love to discuss is like this style of play that's changed, right? And, you know, we discussed throughout the season, the Nets having to make so many adjustments. And I kept telling, you know, Robin that, listen, this style of play now, this dribble handoff style, open five out, you know, spread the court, shooting a lot of threes. It's just conducive to having multiple players come in and out of the lineups at any given time because it's just no real unique style that any one given team plays consistently it's just an open game now what are your thoughts on that as far as uh, the style of play changing in the last five years in particular the number of threes and now we're seeing in the postseason right the net scoring 140 points without going to overtime in a postseason game which was absurd to all of us fans who've been around the game for such a long time yeah, you never would have seen that and obviously i mean the you know this probably all starts with the way the warriors kind of 
revolutionized uh, the game five six years ago. And you're sw- I think what I think what you're seeing is a game that's conducive to their stars excelling at this kind of the year. You know, one thing I'm going to be really interested in seeing, Kerry. I mean, the one thing that you guys did as a unit those two years you went to the finals and the next year when you guys were just really dominant playoff teams is every time you had an opportunity to close a series out, every single time you did. And I think that's probably you know, look. I mean, the, the, the Nets are this this Nets team is already one for one in terms of seizing an opportunity. They had a chance to close out Game Five against the Celtics. They did. I'm going to be really interested to see what happens when they start. You know, how proficient they are at doing that. And uh, I, and I bring that up only because I wonder if the way that the game is played now, if that lends itself to you know, more reliable closeout from the better team, or if there's more of a wild card involved, because, you know, if the Bucks have a game where they just start shooting threes like crazy, that maybe they could change the, uh, the narrative a little bit. One of the things I've, I've been harping on, and I'll continue to go down this path, is, is, is the injuries. I don't think it's sustainable. I think the game is too fast. We're seeing it now. Too many good players are missing the postseason when it matters the most. And I think the NBA has to look at that. Do you really want a game where Harden is out? Do you really want a game where Embiid is banged up? Do you really want a game where Murray is out? you know AD is out so many great players we're not seeing play because injuries and I know it's a part of basketball it's a part of sports but I think it's not because of the rest time being off you know the short off season I think it's the speed of play you know in the same way that I think baseball you know is is experiencing the same thing that you know the human arm probably wasn't designed to throw 100 miles an hour that's kind of what the requirement is of just about every pitcher now is throw as hard as you possibly can and I think that's right I think I think that translates to basketball and that the way that the frenetic pace and the frenetic style of play is going to lend itself to a lot of sprains, a lot of strains, and a lot of you know the kind of injuries that I mean that that really is at this point. Besides the Nets, the other big story in the playoffs are the players who aren't there or the players who weren't able to play at full strength. And you're talking about a pretty impressive array of, of players who just who just haven't been available. And going forward, you don't know who else is going to be on that list. I mean, how long Harden's going to be out? If Embiid is going to miss more time than he did already, I mean, it, it goes on and on. You know, Mike, uh, you, you've been doing this a long time. You, you've seen that evolution in, in real time. I remember back when I was uh, producing Max Kellerman's show on ESPN New York, and you, you were a frequent guest and, you know, ha- have been a part of the heartbeat uh, of New York sports. And and you just re-upped with, with the post. So part one, did you get the Max deal? And, and part part two, what, what do you... How do you self-describe your responsibilities in your role? Well, I have to make sure that I have, uh, you know, I'm like the Tom Brady. I want to make sure there's enough for my teammates to be able to enjoy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, and, and, and thank you for, for, for bringing that up. I just try and tell the truth, to be honest with you, Robin. I mean, you know, as a sports columnist, I'm paid for my opinion. So, I mean, sometimes that means that, you know, I'm firing a coach or I'm training a player. I don't think I ever traded you, Kerry, but oh. uh, <laughs> I'll have to go back in the archives and double check. Okay. But And I think as long as you tell the truth and as, and as long as you're there, I mean, to me, part of it, and look, that's part of the problem with the pandemic is that it's just been impossible to actually be at these events. And I love, I still love, after 30 years in the business, going to games and talking to athletes and trying to figure out as much as I can about what I'm writing so it's kind of, you know, it doesn't come off half cocked. And to me, that's the responsibility that, that, that I have as a sports columnist is just to present, you know, the truth or as close to as I can get to the truth in terms of, you know, what, what I think my opinion is, what I think is required for a team, how I think a team is playing, how I think a team played in a particular game I covered. I mean, as long as you're honest, as long as you, as long as people can tell that you put in the sweat equity, I think that they'll still respect you even if they disagree with you. And Vac, it's been, what, 20 years at the post? How many more are, are you going till you go to the womb? Or, 30, 30. The tomb? 30 more no, years? Like, no. How many more years you got? The womb. <laughs> the tomb, womb, tomb. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll put it this way. As long as they'll have me, I'll be more than happy to uh, click on the laptop, put it that way. And the audience will be more than happy to read your work. Uh, the great Mike Vaccaro, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Vac. that's V-A-C-C. And of course, read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Mike, appreciate you joining us today. It's great talking to you guys. Thanks a lot. That'll do it for episode 25, the Bill Melchioni edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mugia for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now. Please give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review. We appreciate it. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return next week after the next few games of the series. Thanks for listening, and let's go Nets.